Good morning, Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart, and we often say that we are one congregation here at this, this spot, this place, Gateway Church, but we're one congregation of the one church that is in the city, this city being Elk River and the surrounding areas. There's one church in this city that meets in various congregations. And so if there's congregations that, that believe in Jesus Christ, believe in his divinity, preach the gospel of Jesus, then we are brothers and sisters with them, right? It's true. And, and we want to be unified. And we're just really excited about what the Lord's done in terms of unity in the last decade or so. One of my closest friends is concluding his ministry at Twin Lakes Church today. Pastor Percy and Debbie Kelvig. And this is his final Sunday. And uh, Percy likes numbers. And uh, um, this, this exact day, he began his ministry 15 years ago at Twin Lakes Church. Pastor Percy sensed the Lord's leading that his ministry to this local congregation has come to completion, and he's a faithful servant, and, and, uh, um, and so he took this step of faith. He, he prayed about this decision for a long, long time. He's looking forward to what God has in store for him next. He served well. He's a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. And he's my family's pastor. He's my pastor. Who's the pastor's pastor? Well, for me, I got a, I got a couple of pastors. My, my district superintendent and Pastor Percy. He loved and loves my kids dearly. We spent a lot of time together. He's faithfully, faithfully prayed and been a pastor to my children. I can't count how many times he would show up at at the front door. And this was like 9 o'clock at night. It was like when you heard the doorbell ring at 9 o'clock at night, 9.30, right around there, all of us kids, we say, it's Pastor Percy, and guess what he had? He had a big cheese pizza and, and dilly bars. It was like he'd come in, and it was like, all right, get the twins up. It's a Pastor Percy party, right? You guys remember this. And uh, we'd watch the Wild or the Timberwolves or, or something, and, and uh, he, he loved us, and we love him. And so I'd like for us as a family, Gateway Church, to pray for Pastor Percy and Debbie and Twin Lakes Church for God's continued blessing and direction for them. So I, I'm going to ask you if you would just stand with me, all right, just kind of just to say, Lord, we give thanks for this brother and this community. And he, he's made an impact in this community. He has served so many people. I mean, he was the kind of guy that, that uh, would just do anything, go anywhere. And, uh, and so we just want to say to the Lord, thank you, God. We give thanks for Pastor Percy and Debbie Kellevig and what they have meant to this city 
and in the unity of your church in this city and how they served faithfully a, a local congregation, serving, praying, preparing messages, being led by the Spirit. And Lord, I know that you're well pleased in his ministry. And so God, as, as Pastor Percy and Debbie seek your heart and your will for the next season of their life, grant to them peace. And Lord, you got it all, you got it all set up. You know exactly what's going to happen. And we believe that, that Pastor Percy knows your voice and, and will go directly to where you send him, God. Lord, we pray for Twin Lakes Church and for the next steps that they will take as a local congregation. Give them wisdom, Lord. Lead the way. And so we bless this pastor and this ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This is uh, the third message of our new series in the life of, of Joseph. We're using the book by Stephen, Stephen Elliott titled A Story About a Family as, as a primary resource. We've sold almost 40 of these books already. 20 more are ordered. And if you would like one of these books, please pick one up, all right? And uh, go to a Joseph Life group. And we're not like kind of lining it up with my messages. I mean, you can go at, at your own pace in terms of the, the life group and reading the book. It's just a powerful book taking one particular view of the story of Joseph and interweaving it with the theme of a family. It's a story about a family. After the first message, I received an encouraging note, and I'd like to read this note to you as my introduction to this message. It writes, Dear Pastor Paul, your first sermon on Joseph truly hit home for me as I rethought those years after my father's massive stroke and trying to care for him and the 10 years that followed as we helped mom through all her ailments and the good times before she died. Seven children, seven uniquely different personalities, all baffled, bewildered, brought to end to the end of ourselves, not without hurting one another because of our own limitations and frustrations, scarred and marred, patched up and healed, humbled, forgiving and forgiven, the stories go on. I was able to write and share this poem with the family sometime after my mom died. It seems appropriate to also share it with you in confirmation of all that you have said and shared with us. Thank you, Kathy Dwyer. And here's the poem. Man, it's a great, it's a great poem. Now, I've never been much of a poem writer. I, I don't know if I've even written a poem. And so when I read this poem, I was going, wow, I like this poem. It communicates what this series really is all about. 
She writes, family unfinished. We are family indeed. But how does that read? We are catalysts that binds one to another and all in all. Yet we are catastrophe that explodes and scatters, breaks and shatters. Who can fathom that? We are templed with hope that excites eager anticipation and joyful expectation. Yet we are hopelessly flawed, self-deficiently melted and thawed. Yes, we are called family. We are love embraced and displayed, self-sacrificially arrayed. We are all our mother's child, yet our foundations leak and run dry, creaking till barren and parched had gone awry. Pray, how do we read? We are family unfinished is what we are. Like silver, seven times refined and fire tried in God's very own furnace of transforming love. He simply is not finished with us yet, I cried. So keep on reading, family. Let the refiner's fire himself bring to completion what he has already begun in us, one-on-one and all-in-all. Watch his revelation. It's a great poem about the family. None of us were raised in a perfect family. In Joseph's family, there was a lot of work left to be done. And his family, as we know, was pretty messed up. We're not in a perfect family. We weren't raised in one. We're not in one right now, are we? This spiritual family, Gateway Church, is not a perfect family. We are family unfinished, as the poem says. Let the refiner's fire himself bring to completion the good work that he has started. Not only in our immediate families, but in this spiritual family. He has started a good work. He promises to bring it to completion. Sometimes it takes the refiner's fire himself. The power of redemption was coming to Joseph's family, but it would not be easy. never is. If you're a single parent, you know how hard it is. If you've been recently divorced, you feel tremendous pain. Or maybe your family right now is just going through a tough time. I want you to know, as the poem reads, as we continue to work our way through Joseph, that God's not finished with you. He's not finished with your family. What did Joseph's brothers need that Joseph had? The last time they saw him, he was pleading with them, don't sell me as a slave. Please let me go home with you. Maybe he said, I promise I'll never wear that coat again. I won't gloat. I won't tell you about all the dreams that I'm having. I'll keep my big mouth shut. Don't leave me here. They sold him as a slave. Shackled and carried off to a foreign country. 17 years old. Can you imagine that? I can't. 
Who really is enslaved? The one in physical chains, sold into slavery, who goes to a foreign country, away from a doting dad who passionately loved him? Or the brothers who go home free and lie to their father and have to live a lie for over two decades? What these brothers needed that Joseph had and what, how Joseph lived his life was truth. The truth was always on Joseph's side. He lived the truth. His brothers had to live a lie. And there's nothing more enslaving than trying to do that. Joseph is a free man. The brothers are the ones who are enslaved. To be free, they would have to face the truth about what they did, the sin they committed. Today's message is about truth. Truth has the power to set you free and keep you free. Do you think about that? Truth has the power to what? Set you free. And once you're set free, you can't live free until you're set free. And you can live that way. Truth not only has the power to confront my sin, but the power to build me up in a righteous living. Truth fears no questions. Who wants to live their life afraid that somebody's going to ask you a question that you don't want to answer? I hope they don't ask that question. That's no way to live. Truth fears no questions because truth has nothing to hide or cover up. But it's hard to tell the truth. It's hard to hear the truth. Joseph's brothers needed the truth. They needed to face the truth about their deception and lying. So I'm going to take you to the story. And kind of how we're going to do this series is we're not necessarily going to do it in a chronological fashion. We started in Genesis 37, but I'm going to jump all the way to Genesis 45, talk a little bit about the end of the story. Genesis 42. I'm just going to read the story to you again. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain. For there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph, we're going to get to the prison and all of that stuff, but this is the end of the story. He was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they what? Just like the dream said, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended 
to be a stranger, spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? From the land of Canaan, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. Where are all the sons of one man? We are. Your servants, now listen to what they said to Joseph. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. Here's their answer to him. Here they go lying again. Because once you start to lie, unless you allow truth to win the day, we will continue to lie. Here's what he said. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the son of one man, one who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. I question I had from, for a long, long time in the story was Joseph recognized these guys. Why didn't he just come out and say it right away? I'm Joseph, your brother. I think I know why now. You are spies, and this is how you'll be tested, verse 15. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. They rarely ever did. If you are not, then... As surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. He put them all in custody for three days, and then he said, okay, I'll keep one. I'll send back the rest. Verse 19, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified, that you're telling the truth, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Then he said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. They're saying this to one another in Hebrew believing that this is an Egyptian pharaoh who doesn't understand Hebrew. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. And then Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Told you so. They did not realize that Joseph could understand since he was using an interpreter. Verse 24, Joseph turned away from them and began to weep. He gave orders to fill their bags with grain, 
to put each man's silver back into his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. Chapter 30, 43. They go back. They talk to dad. Dad doesn't want to give Benjamin up. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, the father said, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. You know the story. He cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Come close to me. I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me. He's gracing them because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Read the end of the story, chapter 45. See how Joseph responds. I think the reason why Joseph didn't tell them up front who he was is because these brothers needed to be confronted by the truth of their sin, not bury them in it, but to set them free from their bondage. Joseph was gracious. He spoke harshly at times, only to confront them with their deceit and to face their past so that they could live a freeing future. They couldn't go forward until they first dealt with their past. You might be stuck today. And the way God's going to get you out of that mire is to deal with your past. He's making them face the truth. Sometimes it takes somebody to help us. I remember the Olympic commercial. Do you guys watch the Olympics? I, it was, I was kind of into it. The swimming. And I don't know which advertisement or who it was, but it went something like this. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. Joseph is the strong one here. And he doesn't use his strength to bury his brothers. He uses his strength to help confront their lies and their sin and their deceit to build them up. Thought of a couple of illustrations about two brothers. I have one brother, Lorne. He's 14 years older than I am. He pastors the Alliance Church in Duluth. 
I think he's very different from me. If you know my brother, please tell me that we're not alike, all right? I need, I need to hear that from you. You are nothing like your brother. He's a pretty crazy guy. And that personal space filter that we all have, that got jammed for him. He, he doesn't really get that personal space thing. I mean, he just like gets into your personal space, even if you hardly even know him. Pastor Nathan was, I think it was your first Sunday. You were up here leading, and, and I don't know if, if Pastor Nathan had met Lauren before, but no, he, he walks right up and acts like he's your best friend, doesn't he? And I think you're, I don't know if he even introduced himself. He's like, There's a lot of Laurenisms. He lived in Delaware out east for 20 years. His best friend, Charlie, had a son, Josh, an older teenager. He's making some, some terrible, sinful choices. And my brother loved this young kid. He took him out often, spent time with him and talked to him and prayed with him. Josh can impersonate my brother to a T. He has all the Laurenisms down. He's on the front phone. He says, yo, bro, how's it going? You're still busier, busier than a one-armed paper hanger with an itch? Have you heard him say that one before? How's your exercise program? Fill the bathtub up, pull the plug, fight the current. <laughs> I, it's like, Lauren, come up with some new material. What you talking about, Willis? I mean, my brother would always say, I'm in a new line of business, upholstery, laying down and covering the couch. Where's the couch? And my favorite line is this. My life is filled with endless problem, problems of which none have come about. Lauren loved Josh, and they had plenty of heart-to-hearts. On one occasion, Lauren took Josh to a baseball game, and, and uh, you know, first, second, third inning, you know, things were fun. They had a lot of laughs. And about the fourth inning, it was time for Lauren to confront Josh, some of his behavior. And he said, bro, we've got to talk about something. To which Josh said, hey, if this conversation is going where I think it's going, I need a big piece of pizza and a large soda to wash it down. I'm not saying anything. So Lauren got up and said, let's go. He got a big piece of pizza, a big Coke. He ate it, and then he shared, and they talked. And this young man listened. Lauren spoke truth. And today this, this kid loves Jesus with all his heart. Sometimes we're the Joseph who God uses to lovingly speak the truth to people. Not without license. Let's speak the truth. 
Say it carefully, but say it. Say it honestly, but say it. Say it wisely, but say it. This past week, I I had the chance to meet with a young man. And it was a little different in terms of my brother had to speak a hard word of truth to a young man that he was meeting with. I had to speak a word of truth to a young man, but it had nothing to do with sinful choices and bad decisions. It had everything to do with this young man's heart. And that he needed, at this time in his life, not a convicting word of truth, but a word of truth that would build him up. So I looked right at him and said, every person God has given strengths to. He's given abilities and talents. And you know him. He knows you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. I said, I want you to read this book. It's a book that somebody gave me, I don't know, 10 years ago. And it's a little book, Strength Finders. Have you, have you seen that before? It's a, it's a great little book. It's like, I want you to read this book, and then I want you to fill out the questionnaire, and I want to I help you discover what those strengths are in your life. And once you figure some of those things out, the truth will build you up and release you for God's future. I think that was, that's what Joseph was trying to do with his brothers. So here's what I want you to remember. Remember when you walk away to your car, go home. When you wake up and start your new week, remember this. Truth has the power to set me free and keep me free. Therefore say, I will wholeheartedly give myself to truth, to speak it lovingly, carefully, wisely, and to receive it without becoming defensive and offended. Because I want to be free and live free. This table here speaks the truth about what you and I need. We need forgiveness and cleansing. But we know the message, to be clean, we have to come clean. And so as we spend time with the Lord at his table, do you need forgiveness? Do you need cleansing from sin? Today's the day for you to make that connection with God. But this table also tells you the truth about who you belong to. Not just about some of the sin that you have to make right. But it tells you, I belong to Jesus. This is his table. And he has invited me as a son and daughter 
to remember his body, which was broken for me, to remember his blood that was shed for me, and to never forget that he has a wonderful plan. Not an easy plan, but he wants to set me free with his truth. And so I invite you as believers to participate in this table with gratitude in your hearts. I'm going to ask the stewards to come. We're going to receive the bread and the cup. We're going to to eat of those symbols together. I ask that you would just spend a few moments just uh, praying, talking to the Lord, preparing your heart for this great time. Matthew 26, verse 26. While, there, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you. Isn't that great? The son and daughter, he's going to lead this communion service. At some point in human history when he returns in my father's kingdom, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so, receive his body and his blood in remembrance and thanksgiving for what he's done for us.